take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. I must confess to you, as I did to the Sunday school class this morning, I am not feeling well. Um, uh, most of you all know I've, over the years, struggled with some uh, bouts here and there of diverticulitis, and I think that that is what I have. I'm not feeling great. So if I fall out of the pulpit here, um, Deacon Zach is next man up for Father Daniel, and the youth are actually at Brookwood Retirement Facility, leading a service there, praise the Lord, a service we've led for um, nearly 15 years of this uh, parish. Well, you should have received one of these magnets when you uh, walked in. Well, some of you received this magnet and you thought to yourself, well, here we go. Here comes the giving campaign. Here we go, the preacher, hat in hand, coming around, trying to get that almighty dollar from all of his people. Well, I'm going to talk about this at the end, um, but if you didn't get one, uh, I hope that you'll pick one up on your way out. One of the uh, greatest 20th and early, uh, early 21st century philosophers, known as uh, the big Aristotle, or Shaquille O'Neal, or Shaq as he goes uh, by, was once um, asked by, uh, or not asked, but was confronted by his son. And Shaq's son looked at him and, and said, Dad, we are rich. And Shaq kind of smiled, and he looked back at his son. And he said, Son, we ain't rich. I'm rich. <laughs> Amen. Shaquille O'Neal, the big Aristotle. There's a bit of truth in that, isn't there? Actually, a lot of truth in that. And I know that this interaction, I think, for Shaq's son was revolutionary to his understanding of wealth. That he, in fact, that is the son, was broke. His dad had the money. Point one of this four-point sermon. I'm doing four points because it's Generosity Sunday, right? So I'm going to add an extra one in, giving here. Point one. Everything in this earth is the Lord's. Amen? Amen. Our psalm this morning, Psalm 24, began with that famous first verse. The earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. It's all God's, all of creation. Everything that you have, matter of fact, every gifting that you've been given comes, as James says, down from the Father of lights. Every dime that you have in your retirement account comes from the Lord. Everything in heaven and on earth is the Lord's. So what does this make us fundamentally then, brothers and sisters? This makes us not creators of wealth, creators of giftings. It makes us stewards. It makes us stewards. It makes us stewards of the gifts that God has given us. You see, a steward is someone who manages or looks after someone else's property, their finances. You and I, brothers and sisters, are stewards of what God has given to us. We think back to the Garden of Eden, Genesis 2 through 3. Adam and Eve are created in the image of God. They are 
They're given the breath of life by God, right? A gift from Him. They are given the garden, right? To do what? To, um, uh, to plant, to, uh, to labor in, in love, to be stewards of what God has given unto them. You see, um, we don't, in fact, own anything, but we are stewards of everything that God has given us. We don't own anything, but we are stewards of everything that God has given us. Let me read for a moment from our Old Testament passage uh, in Malachi. The prophet Malachi uh, writes uh, this. He says, From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you blessings until there is no more need. I remember early on in my seminary days, before I became a, a, a pastor, a priest, and then a rector, having to deal with all sorts of things, from shepherding people in crisis in life to how to handle their money to how to talk with children about certain things, all these things that come upon you. And I remember thinking this Malachi text, the tithe, that outdated Old Testament 10%. We live in the New Testament times. We were to give sacrificially, but not the Old Testament 10%. I remember talking to someone, and they said, well, yeah, the, um, the Lord is giving us as Christians that 90% discount. And I thought, that's... It's kind of an interesting way to think about uh, all that we have. Kind of hit me like a, like a ton of bricks there. But most of us don't actually know um, because when we read through the New Testament and the Gospels, we often read over this passage so quickly that actually our Lord himself has an opportunity to get rid of the tithe, to get rid of the 10% and say, let's move on from this. The Pharisees do this, and that's legalism. And the 10% is this legalistic understanding of giving. But our Lord in Matthew 23, 23 says this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Our Lord constantly in the New Testament is always trying to move our hearts in line with what God has commanded and given unto us. For our Lord is telling the Pharisees here, Matthew 23, 23, look, you're tithing, but you believe that your tithe allows you then not to act justly or mercifully, right? Uh, showing mercy to others. You can kind of tithe and then go on about your life. He says, no, 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 you ought to have done justice and mercy without neglecting the others. We think about the tithe, too, as, as Anglicans. Our um, ACNA Constitution and Canons talks about this. It, I'm quoting section 1 concerning the tithe. The biblical tithe is the minimum standard of giving to support the mission of the church and should be taught and encouraged at every level in the church. So here I am obeying my bishop <laughs> in the preaching. But let me say this. That there in Malachi, the bringing of the tithes and the contributions in to um, God's house, 
And a lot of this, of course, was food, grain offerings that would be brought in, still 10% of what they were growing or harvesting. You see, it was brought into the Lord's house so that it could be redistributed to those in need. That the church now in the New Testament has a mission to take care of our people. We give unto the church, not necessarily so that we can get, but we give, and the church is always on the lookout for widows, for orphans, for those who don't have money right now in life and need it, and our church helps. We help with this. That's part of what the early church was doing in the book of Acts. They were sharing and having all things in common. Too often when I think about my money um, and my tithe, my giftings, the things that I own, I think about how I can use them for myself and not about the fact that God owns them. How, in fact, can I utilize these for somebody else called to sacrifice with our lives and, yes, even with our wallets? I know that it's uncomfortable to, for the priest to talk about, about money. I, I know it's uncomfortable and we shouldn't be talking about money and politics and religion from the pulpit. Re- I guess religion, yes. Faith, yes. But... It's uncomfortable when the Lord kind of gets into our pocketbook, right? Because we usually fall into two camps. We fall into the, you know, well, I give and I give enough. Maybe you tithe and it's like, I tithe 10% and now let me alone with acts of righteousness and mercy. We fall in the other camp that constantly think, and maybe you are broke and you're broke and you say, well, I'm broke so I can't give anything whatsoever. And actually, the gospel preaches to both, to both, to the wealthy, You need to give the tithe as a minimum to those that are more like the widow who's giving her might. You know, the widow still gave. She didn't cease from giving. She gave and she was blessed by her gift. As a matter of fact, her gift was an affront to those, the Pharisees, scribes, and others who had so much money but were not being generous with what God had given them. Now, the tithe is not a law. It's not a law, but it's a really good guide, a guide for us to move there. There's this old saying, I'm sure that you've heard it, but, it, but this is true. Um, you, can, you, can, <laughs> you can Google this. I know it sounds terrible. You can Google this. You can find all sorts of stuff here, but you can Google this. During the Great Depression, on average, again, the Great Depression, how many of you all remember stories from like your grandparents or great-grandparents or great-great-grandparents that were passed down about the Great Depression. Anyone remember those? Okay, good. Let me tell you my favorite story. Remember, I'm an old uh, Okie, not, not from Muskogee, from Meeker, actually, but all that to say, we had stories in our family about the Great Depression, and my favorite was that my great-grandmother, no, sorry, great-great-grandmother would actually, they were so poor that when they would, would crack eggs, if they had any eggs, she would take her finger and she would scoop out everything from the shell, right, to make sure that nothing was wasted. During the Great Depression, Christians gave on average 3.3% of their income. 3.3% of their income. In today's church, as recently as uh, 2018, Christians give on average of 2.5% of their income. 2.5% of their income. And again, yes, it looks like financially, um, here in the next few years, even now, things are, things are difficult, are they not? Things are difficult. Things are more expensive, right? But when I think about the stories about um, our parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, great-great-grandparents, and the story of their generosity, 
the movement almost of this widow's might situation, I'm convicted again to be reminded that all of this is God's and we should give back to him. Not to rob from him, but to give. Because actually in your giving to the church, these things help the mission of the church, but also to bless those that are in need. Point two. And this is me preaching to myself first and foremost. Stop loving your stuff. Or stop loving other people's stuff. One day you're going to die and you can't take it with you. Amen? Stop loving your stuff and stop loving other people's stuff. One day you're going to die and you can't take it with you. St. Paul writes in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, The love of money is the root of all sorts of evils. And let me give you one example of an evil that comes from the love of money. It's a really, um, it's really terrible evil, actually. It's that when you are in love with the money that you make and that you accumulate, I'm sure through God's giftings, right? Working hard, you know, being shrewd, being a good businessman or businesswoman or being someone that's out there. And these are good things to make money, by the way. It's not a bad thing. I heard it once said that Christians can make as much money as they want. They just can't keep it all. That's kind of the, <laughs> it's a good, I think, a good statement. But one of the roots of, of evil that comes from the love of money is this that you actually live your life devaluing the image of God in other people. And this is, just, this is uh, for youth and kids that are in here and adults too. If you are in love with money or you're in love with your stuff or your neighbor's stuff all the time, what you end up doing is you see human beings as a means to an end. You see them as a means to an end to get more stuff. Maybe to give you some stuff, or to get more money, or to make more money, to accumulate more stuff. Our Lord talked about this in the gospel reading that was uh, read for us uh, so well by Deacon Zach this morning, the parable of the rich fool. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But Jesus said to him, Man, who made me a judge and arbiter over you? And he said to them, that is, Jesus said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. Listen here, brothers and sisters, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions or her possessions. Your life is not about how much stuff you can acquire. I just want to repeat that. And I'm saying it to someone that likes going to Harbor Freight and blowing money all the time, by the way, and I've got to stop that, the sin of my life. But here's the deal. Your possessions are not what you are to be about. Your life is more than that. At the end of this parable, we are to be rich towards God. That's the point of existence. There was a comedian who, who once uh, said when he was growing up, he was very poor, and he complained uh, to his dad all the time he said dad we are poor will you please turn the heat on it's freezing cold here freezing cold lived up north freezing cold we're poor will you please turn the heat on his dad looked at him and he said um he said son uh, poor is a state of mind and you're not poor now you're broke but you're not poor it's a state of mind that was a funny thing funny thing for us to think about brothers and sisters for us being rich towards God 
Being rich towards God, first and foremost, is this recognition that you and I have been delivered from sins with the greatest exchange of debt known to mankind, that we have been saved by the grace of God. And it's this understanding of being rich first in faith that allows us to give generously. As St. Paul will say in Corinthians, either from our little or our poverty, or to be generous with a lot of things. Maybe we are rich to be generous in both accounts. Moving on with that parable of the rich young fool. Take care and be on your guard, Jesus says, of all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. It's so easy for us to covet what others have and then to live our lives in pursuit of money to buy what our neighbors have that we want. And here's the irony in all of that. We become subject and actually enslaved to inanimate objects that have control over us. Have you ever thought about that? When you want something so bad that you will work overtime and an extra, all this stuff to get that one thing, what happens? We become almost enslaved to these things. Let us be liberated. And the first movement towards liberation is to realize finally that all of what we have is God's. And whether we are rich or poor, we're called to generosity. Because finally, we're going to see that in the way that we spend our money and give our money, not just to this church, but even beyond this church, is in fact a testament to the release of debt, the payment of debt that has been given to you and to me. Several weeks ago, um, I asked uh, you all to raise your hand. I won't do it again. But if you had been in debt to somebody else and they had actually said, you know what, I'm going to erase it. And what a burden that was. What a, what actually, what a ministry that was to you. Why? Because it's an icon, it's an image of the debt that has been um, replaced, that has been forgiven of us through our Lord Jesus Christ. Point three, be a cheerful giver. For your cheerful giving might save the soul of the one who receives from you. Let's turn here quickly to our second Corinthians passage. Paul writes uh, this, and let me set this up. Paul here in, his, in this second letter uh, to the Corinthians, chapter 8 and then chapter 9, which was read by Cooper this morning, there was an issue going on in the Jerusalem church. They were in need. They were in financial need, great need. And Paul is writing to the Corinthians saying, I need you all to be generous with your wealth. Because Corinth was a fairly wealthy city at this point in time. To be generous with your wealth, like the Macedonian Christians were who are poor, for the Macedonians sent money to help the church in Jerusalem. That's the context. Paul writes this, For I want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. You see, the grace of God was seen so well in the church of Macedonia, who, because they were poor, yet were generous in the midst of poverty, showed the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 8 Paul says, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. That is a Corinthian church, your love is also genuine. 
For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Again, the Macedonian church in poverty giving was giving an image, showing an image of Jesus Christ, who though he was rich, he was divine, he was very God, gave up himself, became poor and afflicted and smitten. He, um, he himself was in fact giving of himself in his richness, becoming poor so that you and I may be his brothers and sisters. Finally, in chapter 9, St. Paul says, the point is this, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Brothers and sisters, are we cheerful? Do we give, and if we give, are we cheerful about it? Or is um, giving and being generous something that is a huge pain? Well, I know early on in my life, and my wife Jennifer can attest to this, when we decided to begin to tithe, to give 10%, we weren't broke fully, but we were close. I was a young seminary student working for minimum wage at the library, 15 hours a week. Jennifer was waiting tables at Brio, um, a restaurant you may know. I don't think it exists anymore, but she was waiting tables there. And Father Lyle Dorset came up to me, the founder of this church, and said, Michael, I know you want to be ordained. Do you tithe? And I bowed my head in shame, and I said, well, uh, no, I don't. And he said, you need to test God. Meal. For there were times, actually, that this church gave to us to help us. Because when we gave to God, he was, in fact, faithful to bless us. That's what our Lord was getting at in Malachi when he says, test me. Give, be generous with what you have, and I will be generous to you. Finally, here in chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians... Paul gets at all of this, brothers and sisters, what I'm trying to hint at here with this point of being a cheerful giver that by giving you might save the soul of one who receives from you. St. Paul says, by their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. You see, when you give to the church, and then when you give above and beyond the church to those that are actually in need that you know of, what are you doing? You're glorifying God first by your submission that comes through the confession of the gospel of Christ that you've been redeemed. That's first. But second, Paul says this, and what comes from the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. St. James says that true religion is, is to what is to be generous, is to give to orphans, to widows, to those that are in need, and we're called to do that as Christians. And then final, uh, my final point is this, and this is a bit of homework before I close. My homework for you, my brothers and sisters at this parish, whether you're um, a regular attender or a member or even just a visitor, I want you or you and your spouse and even you and your young kids maybe to talk through and to look at how much you give, first to your church here locally, and then beyond your church, to give, to look first at that giving, and to see, because so often, and I've had parishioners remind me of this, they say, well, if you preach on generosity more, we'd give more. Well, 
all right, touche, here we go. No, but all that to say, they told me the reason why is they forget to look. You get in a rhythm and a routine. So brothers and sisters, look. Take a look at what you give, not only to this parish, but above and beyond, to the poor, to those that are in need. And finally this, give generously, save wisely, spend simply. This is just a biblical account of how we need to think about our money, brothers and sisters. Give generously. Don't withhold from God, from giving to your local church and giving above and beyond. And the next after you give, then save. Save wisely. The book of Proverbs talks a lot about saving your money. Go to the ant, you sluggard, if you know this proverb. Because the ant works, in the, works during the summertime and does what? Stores up things for the winter. Saving is a good thing and to do it wisely. And finally, the hardest thing, I think, brothers and sisters, is to spend our money simply as Christians, not following the world that would trick you into believing that your identity is made up of everything that you own, so buy more and more and more. So in conclusion, let me say this. Brothers and sisters, the way that we use our money is a sign of the gospel. It is. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, Paul wrote, that though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Brothers and sisters, May we continue as believers in this church in generosity, giving first to this parish and not, not giving past, but giving first here and then giving to those in need, being generous with what we give, saving our money wisely, and then finally starting a bit of a culture change where we spend our money simply. For brothers and sisters, we will continue at this parish to show through generosity the grace that has been given to us through the way that we manage our finances. Brothers and sisters, I love you. I encourage you to think about these things, to be convicted, also um, affirmed in the generosity that you all have here at this church. I love you. May we receive this in love. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.